the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Jenna Ellis Show, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. As a constitutional law attorney, former senior legal advisor and personal counsel to President Donald J. Trump, Jenna Ellis believes in the rule of law and the importance of integrity in our elections. And she's ready to tackle the big cultural and legal issues facing America. This is the Jenna Ellis Show. Here is your host, Jenna Ellis. Precious Metals is the company that I trust to give you good and patient counsel for investing in your retirement. The Biden administration has caused a financial crisis and they have no clue how to fix it. Oil prices have skyrocketed. And when oil prices go up, not only do your expenses go up, but the cost of transportation and shipping spikes, leading the prices of goods to rise. And when and we are already seeing record inflation, that's the last thing that we need. Our economy is in trouble and you need to take steps to protect yourself. If all your money is tied up in stocks, bonds, and traditional markets, you may be vulnerable. So gold is one of the very best ways to protect your retirement. No matter what happens, you own your own gold. It's real, it's physical, and it's always been valuable since the dawn of time. Call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-528-1903 or visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com where you can download the free investor's guide. You can also go to my Facebook page, Jenna Ellis. I am a public figure on Facebook, and I just posted yesterday a really great interview with the president of Legacy Precious Metals, who is discussing why you need to start your retirement account, even if you're in your 20s or 30s. There is always a great time to protect your retirement and invest just like you want to protect your health over the long term. So go to Legacy Precious Metals at LegacyPMInvestments.com or call 866-528-1903. Happy Wednesday, friends, and welcome to another episode of The Jenna Ellis Show. I'm Jenna Ellis, and today we're going to talk about the Supreme Court confirmation hearing of uh, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. And I promised you yesterday that we would dive into this. And I'm actually glad that we waited for today because we have a lot more to talk about than we did even yesterday. Uh, so we're going to get to that. And then also to uh, my very good friend, Don Huffines, is going to join me later on in the program. Um, as you recall, uh, for listeners of this show, he ran for uh, governor out of the state of Texas. I endorsed him. Um, just super, super phenomenal uh, conservative patriot. And unfortunately, um, Texans in the primary chose Greg Abbott to continue. Um, I think that was a very bad decision, obviously. But, um, you know, I wanted to have him back on because um, even when we have those kinds of, you know, losses of elections that, you know, should have gone another way, uh, what then is the next step? And he's going back into the private sector. He's not a career politician. So um, I just wanted to have him on to talk about um, what's next for him for the state of Texas and how 
citizens can get involved in politics, in uh, in elections, uh, even when you know we unfortunately didn't win the primary. So um, I think it's going to be a really great discussion. And hey, we might even get into a couple of things that you know you're not even anticipating. So stay tuned for that. But first. Let's talk about the Supreme Court confirmation hearings. So uh, as we talked about Monday, um, the, you know, the scope of these confirmation hearings are so completely different in 2022 and even over the last, you know, probably 10 or 20 years than what the original design and concept for the confirmation of uh, justices according to the Constitution. We talked about why the Senate is important, how advice and consent works. And so kind of stepping aside from that and just looking at this through the lens of what uh, Judge Jackson's hearings have become, it it is political theater. Uh, But what's been really interesting for me uh, to watch in these hearings is that she is actually declining to respond to a lot of really significant questions. And they're hot-button political questions, which, of course, are coming from Republican senators. Like, for example, Senator Ted Cruz asked her what she thinks about critical race theory and whether that should be taught in uh, public schools. And she said, well, I'm not a policymaker. And when she's asked about um, sentencing recommendations for judges, she says, well, that's up to Congress in terms of the federal guidelines. Um, I'm not part of the legislature. And so while those answers, in a sense, make sense, she's also avoiding responding to those questions that would further illuminate what her judicial philosophy is. And so even though it's true, Congress sets the federal sentencing guidelines by statute, um, what her perspective is on that as a judge absolutely matters. What her track record is absolutely matters. And for things like critical race theory, uh, Ted Cruz was trending yesterday um, for asking that question. Of course, the left is like, you guys can't even define critical race theory. Well, you know, yeah, we can. And we've been talking about critical theory uh, for quite, you know, for a number of years now and how that has infiltrated um, so many of these woke corporations, the whole ESG thing. Um, I'm going to have to have my good friend James Lindsay back on the show to talk about all of that. Um, I was with uh, him and Sovereign Nations um, down at an event in Orlando a few weeks ago, and um, you know he spent two hours um, just talking to the room about ESG and critical theory and um, how you know this is leading to Marxism, and it's a really important conversation. So obviously it's philosophical, and this isn't just about what's your perspective, judicial nominee, on what public school teachers should be able to teach children. That is a policy decision for a school board or for a private school. But why does that matter to a judicial nominee? Because you get cases that involve the First Amendment free exercise of religion um, in terms of protecting religious liberty and parents who object to, to school curriculum and who want to use public funding to for more school choice types of issues and say, we want to take state uh, tax dollars and be able to have school choice and go and choose um, a, a curriculum that we actually agree with according to our sincerely held religious beliefs. Those are cases that are currently making their way through the system. So what she thinks about parental rights 
is fundamentally important to her role on the Supreme Court um, if and probably when she's confirmed. Um, So those questions matter. And so while she is taking the easy out to say, oh, this is a matter of policy, I can't comment, uh, what I think would have been better and what I was kind of surprised that, that Ted Cruz and a few others didn't do was follow up and say, listen, I'm not asking you how you would set policy. I'm asking you specifically, what is your view of parental rights in relation to how the Constitution protects that issue? Uh, Bringing it back to a squarely judicial role. That really didn't happen. And this is why, unfortunately, a lot of this becomes political theater, because Judge Jackson can take the easy way out and say, well, this is policy. But then, you know, Ted Cruz has gotten his uh, his clip for social media that I asked about CRT. So look at me. I'm doing a good job, but not really following up on the substance of why does that matter? And so when we're looking at a, a judicial nominee in this type of context, we always have to go beyond just the surface and sort of the low-hanging fruit of the clash, right? Because that's what the mainstream media likes. They, they like uh, showing the clash. They like showing Republican versus Democrat. Um, this is contentious because only the Republicans hate the Democrat president-nominated uh, Justice, and when the tables were turned, and this was, uh, you know, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, then of course it was all the Democrats that were clashing, right? So that's the that's really the more simplistic view. When we're looking at how we can predict how Judge Jackson will likely hold in her opinions on the Supreme Court. Those questions matter to her overall judicial philosophy. And so I would have loved to see the senators get more in-depth as to why it matters. Don't just ask the questions, but try to get to her philosophy. And if she still refuses to respond, that's a huge red flag. Because no one since basically Ruth Bader Ginsburg set sort of the standard during confirmation hearings to say, I am not going to predict how I may rule on a future case that would be inappropriate in this setting. And that kind of set the context for a lot of future nominees uh, to not answer those questions. And while there's some logic behind that, because you don't want to box yourself in as a judge to a particular hypothetical, um, because facts and circumstances are always different in cases. I mean, even two cases that on face are similar issues with similar facts, there, there are always differences and ways that you can either analogize or distinguish. And that's part of what law school teaches, right? To say, okay, we're looking at this precedent of this Supreme Court case. I don't like for my client the way that that opinion held. So I want to distinguish the facts of my case from that particular ruling. Or if you like it and you say that is absolutely binding in this court, um, that's a lower court is bound by that decision. Here is why my client's facts are, are squarely within that holding and you have no other choice because it's binding precedent, right? So that's part of the legal maneuvering and the strategy. And so hypotheticals are beneficial to understanding just a a broad perspective, not boxing a judge into saying, well, because you answered this hypothetical this particular way, now you're boxed into uh, being required to make that decision on every case where um, this particular substantive issue arises. No, it's more to, uh, to uncover a judge's thinking process because that's 
that's the entire ball game for the Supreme Court. How does uh, Judge Jackson look at parental rights, look at education, look at compulsory education, look at separation of church and state, which is, of course, not in the Constitution, but has been um, upheld by the Supreme Court in terms of um, the Lemon Test, which is to say that there can't be an entanglement or an establishment of religion. Um, and, and that part, of course, is in the Constitution, but the Supreme Court has so overinflated, overextended that phrase by saying that if anything is remotely religious, then that's a violation of the Establishment Clause. You know, so what does she think about that? And is that constitutionally sound? Does that comport with a judicial philosopher that we want on the court? Because really, the nine justices are philosophers, and they apply that philosophy to how they view and ultimately how they uh, opine and determine a case. So these confirmation hearings should be all about determining her judicial philosophy, uh, but clearly they're not. So that then gets into this absolutely insane moment uh, from last night, and this was pretty late in the day, so Twitter's kind of exploding about this this morning, where Senator Marsha Blackburn, who's fantastic, um, she's she's great. We'll have to get her on the show as well. Um, to even just talk about this because um, she's obviously been an advocate for um, conservative policy. She's a really great senator, and she asks Judge Jackson a very very simple question. Listen to this brief exchange. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. Okay, so Judge Jackson says, I'm not a biologist, really? So I guess, you know, K through 12 education is just out the window because nobody can know anything unless they're an expert in a particular field. Well, I guess I don't know anything that's not squarely within uh, my expertise in the law. I mean, so I guess I don't know what two plus two is because I'm not a mathematician. You know, I mean, where does this go? This is insane. It's absurd. And it's not that Judge Jackson can't define what a woman is. That is a, as our founders would say, a self-evident truth, right? We all know that there is biologically a fundamental difference between male versus female. And the Bible speaks in Genesis that God created us male and female in his image. Um, and even just defining this as the difference between X, um, XX and XY chromosomes. I mean, if you want to get to that level, we all know that because we were taught that in K through 12. And last I checked, the majority of us are not biologists, but we still know how biology works. We still know the difference, the measurable difference between male versus female. And what's fascinating here is a couple of things. First, she's tacitly admitting that gender is not a social construct because if it were, then she could give her philosophy, right? And say, well, gender is a social construct. So it depends on how a particular individual person is feeling at any given moment, right? That would be the leftist response. And that's what they proclaim is true about gender and sex is that it's just a social construct and can be changed at whim. It depends on how we feel, 
Um, and she could have answered that way. But by saying, I'm not a biologist, she's actually admitting that it is a matter of human anatomy and biology that determines the difference between male and female. So the left probably isn't so uh, pleased with that response. But the second thing is she's refusing to answer the question because she knows that it is such a hot button question. And at what point, and I tweeted this this morning, at what point does her saying, I don't know, because that was actually her initial question. She goes, I don't know. And then said, well, you know, not in this context. Um, I'm not a biologist. Well, this context actually matters. But I tweeted, okay, so if you're saying I don't know, when obviously you do, because she's, you know, she's a very well-educated, um, very, clearly very smart individual. Um, she's come across, you know, very knowledgeable um, in, in these confirmation hearings. Um, if she's saying, I don't know, but she does actually know, at what point is she affirmatively lying to the Senate by saying, I don't know, just to avoid answering questions. Because if she didn't want to answer it, she could say, I'm sorry, I can't answer that in this context, or that would be inappropriate for me to answer, or, you know, freaking plead the fifth. I don't know. Uh, but if she says, I don't know, she's actually, that, that's, a, that's a false statement. She lied to the Senate by saying that she doesn't know. Because she does know. So that to me is is completely disqualifying. And she should not be allowed to avoid the, the rigor and the, uh, the questions that are a, re- a constitutionally required aspect of this process. It's required to go through the confirmation hearing so that the Senate can provide their advice and consent. That is required under the Constitution. So for her to say that she doesn't know and lie in order to avoid the constitutional process, that does not give me a great confidence in how she's going to faithfully uphold the Constitution when she is sworn as a sworn in as a U.S. Supreme Court justice because she's already avoiding the Constitution. And that actually signals in the clearest way possible that she's an activist and that she does not respect the Constitution and the rule of law. Because in her first moments as even a potential Supreme Court justice, as the current nominee, she's violating the Constitution. And that should be disqualifying. It should be absolutely unacceptable. And so while the while the Twitter sphere is talking about you know, oh, she can't define what a woman is and look at how the, you know, the left is so crazy. Of course she can. And even if she defined it in leftist terms by saying that gender is a social construct, that would at least have been a sincere and an honest response if that's her position. Or she could define it based on self-evident truth. That would also be an appropriate response. But to say, I don't know, is a lie. So that should should give us pause. And it should also concern us because not only is she avoiding these substantive questions, she's trying to avoid the confirmation process and just not make news, just sidestep anything that's politically hot button 
so that she can just get confirmed and it's and she doesn't give any of the Democrats any reason to vote against her and any of the spineless Republicans any reason to vote against her. Um, Lindsey Graham, you know, questioned her earlier today. And while he's great in some of these hearings, it would not shock me at all if he goes ahead and votes for her. Right. Because um, that's just how the the Republican Party works right now. Uh, But going back also to our analysis of why do these questions matter? Well, it matters because it showed her judicial philosophy of disrespecting and even violating the Constitution in her first ever uh, position of even a nominee. She's not even on the court yet, and she's violating the Constitution. Uh, But second, why does defining a woman matter to the role of a Supreme Court justice? Well, again, similarly with parental rights, with uh, religious liberty issues, with all of these things that are cultural issues today that eventually are litigated. When we're talking about the definition of a woman, all of these uh, transgender uh, swimmers, all of these, you know, protecting women's sports bills, those are going to be litigated. And that will eventually likely go up to the Supreme Court. How on earth does a Supreme Court justice who cannot or will not define what is a woman be competent and responsible to adjudicate Title IX and Title VII issues. I mean, being a woman is a protected class under the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I mean, so when you're looking at protected class, when you're looking at the litany of Supreme Court jurisprudence that it squarely falls within these issues of what is a woman, that matters. And we as the American people who unfortunately are governed by the majority of the Supreme Court sitting justices, we need to know what is her perspective on this. Can we trust that she will faithfully uphold the U.S. Constitution, faithfully apply Uh, the Constitution to fact and law and view what Congress legislates uh, in a textually appropriate manner, an originalist view, um, a conservative view, because that's not, and, and I'm not talking about Republican versus Democrat. I'm talking about plain language and the interpretation and meaning of words and the difference between being on the Supreme Court versus being a legislator. Um, Activism is legislating from the bench. And to not be able to define what a woman is and to refuse to tell the truth about her philosophy on that issue, on biological sex and gender and human sexuality, she is refusing to tell the American people whether or not she will uphold our fundamental, unalienable, God-given rights that the Constitution preserves and protects and our government is obligated to protect when we're talking about issues of sex and the difference between male and woman, uh, male and female, man and woman. That's, that's really disqualifying to me. And so while I think, you know, she has been a great nominee in terms of her presence. She's obviously knowledgeable on the issue. She's been a sitting judge. All of those things that the left is pointing to. Well, sure, but the Constitution actually doesn't have any requirement, even being a lawyer. You don't even 
actually have to be a lawyer under the Constitution to be a sitting Supreme Court justice, which I know is kind of mind-boggling in today's age because we would never nominate someone who isn't a lawyer, who isn't doesn't have some of those other expert qualifications, right? But the whole point of the separation of powers of allowing the sitting president to select a nominee and then have, so that's the executive branch's input, then the Senate, the legislative branch, has to provide their advice to the president and consent or not. Those two branches then ultimately are responsible for who sits on the court as the third branch that, are, that is supposed to hold both of those branches accountable. It matters to our system of government and continuing to preserve and protect liberty. So when you have a judge like Katanji Brown-Jackson, who is refusing to tell the truth, who's refusing to respond and let the American people know her judicial philosophy, and is willing to violate the U.S. Constitution during her confirmation hearings, that is an absolute no in my book. And we should be calling every single senator, Democrat and Republican, and saying, you need to provide your advice back to Joe Biden that, sorry, you wanted to have the first black woman justice. She won't even define woman. So what does it even matter? Our advice to you is find someone who's willing to answer our questions and, our, and we will not give our consent. But the Senate isn't going to do that. Uh, because they're too political and they're just using their 30 seconds of fame in their little clips. And then meanwhile, she's going to get a lifetime appointment to the court, uh, completely unaccountable because the only way to remove a sitting judge is through the impeachment process. That has actually happened and been successful a couple of times in our nation's history. Uh, and the Constitution requires that um, it is a lifetime appointment for a tenure of good behavior. And... When a sitting federal judge, including the Supreme Court justices, violate their oath of office by activism, that's not good behavior. That is an impeachable offense. But the House, even when it's Republican controlled, uh, can't get it together to actually hold the judicial branch accountable. So unless something changes and we get some really good people in a majority and even to the point in the Senate of the two-thirds majority required to actually remove. You impeach through the House, remove after a trial in the Senate. Uh, really, there's no way to hold uh, these judges accountable. And so she is trying to fly under the radar, refuse to answer questions, get confirmed, and then we'll figure out her judicial philosophy and what she actually thinks is the definition of a woman when we see her opinions on Title VII decisions, on women's sports legislation, on all of these things, on you know, whether, um, whether churches and pastors are going to be compelled to, uh, to have, uh, gay weddings, uh, violating their sincerely held religious beliefs. Um, you know, all of these things, whether churches will be required to, to have employees, um, that, that are part of the LGBT community, that obviously, uh, a, a church that's biblically based would object to and say that's wrong, that's sinful, they they don't comport with what our organization, what our church believes. Um, all of these things matter to our fundamental liberty. And this is what's made me so frustrated in watching all of this. And as conservatives, we need to always analyze this through the lens of what does the Constitution preserve and protect and why is this important 
to our everyday lives and preserving liberty and freedom here in America. We have a lot of work to do. And we have a lot of great elections uh, still coming up that we need to, as citizens of every state in this union, we need to be doing the most that we can to elect the most qualified, competent individuals. And by that, I mean people who will faithfully understand and execute their elected office by upholding the Constitution and preserving and protecting your and my rights. That's what this is all about. So we'll be right back to talk more uh, with my good friend Don Huffines and uh, his thoughts on how we can all, as citizens, uh, get involved in this process. All right. Well, 2022 is going to be a critical year for America. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, along with their nearly 2 million members, the fight to stop out-of-control spending in the president's Build Back Better scheme is far from over, and Congress is plotting more legislation that could hurt our seniors. The midterm elections will be a battle for freedom versus socialism. Unlike liberal groups, AMAC is America's conservative, action-oriented 50-plus organization fighting hard every day here in Washington and across the nation for our seniors. So I'm urging you to choose AMAC now. You will receive all of the great membership benefits, including AMAC discounts on hotels, travels, and restaurants, and your membership will support your conservative values. So go to amac.us forward slash Ellis. That's amac.us forward slash E-L-L-I-S to become an AMAC member now. Vaccines have not eliminated the Chinese Fauci virus, so we all need extra protection for our immune systems. My friends at Centurion Labs have combined five key ingredients to defend your immune system against allergies, cold, the flu, and even the coronavirus. It's called Centurion Defender, and it incorporates vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, copper, and quercetin in just one capsule. No more swallowing 10 pills a day or not taking supplements because the individual cost is just too high. So take one Defender with breakfast and one with dinner and keep living your life. Just like the Centurions of Rome led by example and held themselves to the highest possible standards, Centurion Labs has dedicated the last 15 years to research and develop safe, effective, and affordable healthcare products made in the USA that you can trust. For a limited time, listeners of this show can save 20% off their first order of Centurion Defender. Visit centurionlabs.com forward slash Jenna and use the promo code J-E-N-N-A. Defend your health today with Centurion Defender. That's centurionlabs.com forward slash Jenna and the promo code Jenna. Centurion Labs, that's with an S, centurionlabs.com forward slash J-E-N-N-A. All right, welcome to another episode of The Jenna Ellis Show, and I am so pleased to have my good friend Don Huffines, who um, you all know, who are faithful listeners of this show, um, who I supported and endorsed for governor of Texas, and um, you know, was able to go down and campaign and do some rallies and other things uh, with him and his wonderful wife and their great family. And, um, you know, Don, unfortunately, the election, you know, was not successful against uh, the the incumbent Greg Abbott. It's very difficult, of course, to unseat an incumbent. And I think a lot of people in Texas just believed what, you know, legacy media said about him and that, um, you know, and his track record and all of that. But I wanted to have you back on first to say thank you for standing for truth, for fighting this fight and to ask you, so what is next for you, for Texas? And, uh, you know, what what can people do in Texas to continue to stand for truth? Well, 
uh, I'm not looking to to run for another position right now. And uh, as you know, I'm I'm not a career politician. I'm a business businessman and a and a father and a grandfather. And but I am very concerned about Texas, and I am a champion for liberty, and always will be. Uh, I'm a lifelong conservative activist, and that's not going to change, Jenna. It's just not. I can't help it. Uh, I have always fought for liberty and freedom and done what I can in the ways that I can, and I'm going to continue to do that. Uh, You know, when I was in the legislature uh, in Texas Senate for four years, from 14 to 18, it was such an eye-opening experience, and it People really don't realize that. So when I go around the state telling people the truth and what really happens in the process and and who's really with us and against us and for liberty and freedom, it, it really is shocking to a lot of folks. And I'll continue to do that because the truth is, is speaks so loudly to patriots. It really does. And I so appreciate that perspective, Don, because I think a lot of people um, think of those of you who've run for office Um, kind of assume that you're career politicians, which obviously is not the case for you. It's not the case for a lot of the great Americans across the country who are engaging in elections and are running for office because they're seeing the disaster that has happened to this country, um, especially with the leftists. And they want to uh, make sure to reclaim uh, America first policies, um, our government, and to put America back on a better trajectory. And so when, uh, but then for the people who aren't running for office to hear that from you to say, you know, this is just because um, one election outcome didn't fall the way that we hoped, that doesn't mean that you will slow down in any way from still continuing to stand firm and fight for truth, fight for liberty, and be engaged as as a citizen and in our civil government. And I hope that people that that message resonates with people. Um, because that's really what everyone should do. It's not just saying, well, let's give this great for the people who are running for office. Um, We'll just put the burden on them to figure it out. But everything else is kind of too dirty to get our hands uh, involved in. I think um, what what I'm taking from what you're saying is that every person should be engaged in making sure that our country is on the right track. How can people, especially in Texas, do that if they're not running for office? Well, it's a great question, of course, and it's a, something we all struggle with. That the best approach to to f- fight for liberty, fight for freedom, fight for our Republican Party principles and common sense, and and it's it's a it's a it's an effort. It really is to figure out the best approach. And I think right now, I would encourage uh, citizens and activists to uh, to hold to do everything they can to hold their elected office holders accountable. And that means constant pressure on them. It means to ask them why they're not speaking the truth, why they're hiding behind not taking the hard votes, why they don't want to get, for instance, in Texas, we've got a great legislative agenda from our grassroots Republican Party and at our conventions and why they don't vote for that. Why is it that they're always trying to appease the Democrats and that's what goes on and they're always trying to be liked and get the media to like them and and to make the Democrats happy? And that's why we're just constantly sliding down this slope to socialism and communism and and the tyranny that's coming is is really unimaginable. So 
All we can do as citizens is really put the pressure on them. And also in these elections that are coming up, most states have not had their primaries. The primaries are where everything's decided, generally, and the Republican Party, because almost we have three parties. We've got a Republican Party that we've got a lot of R's that are really Democrats, and they're Democrats of an R by their name, and, there's, and they exist to appease the Democrats. And, and, and then we've got a, a, another group of Republicans that are real patriots, real liberty lovers, understand the Constitution, understand what it means for to have a free market and, and have more courage. So uh, it, I encourage you to find those candidates, find those elected office holders uh, that are true patriots and support them any way you can. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've been so frustrated this week, especially, you know, looking at the Republicans who are spineless and are wanting to appease the Democrats. That never works. The left, you can't be woke enough. You can't be tolerant enough for the left ever. Um, they'll just find something else that, you know, you tweeted eight years ago and, and ding you for that. And they're their measuring stick and plumb line of truth consistently changes because it's arbitrary. So the only constant is change. And you can never, ever line up with that moving target uh, hard enough. And yet this week, when we've seen the nomination um, and, and confirmation hearings, rather, of uh, Judge Jackson Brown and seeing some of these Republicans who are asking questions, but it's kind of it's just political theater. And, and you know that she's going to get confirmed. And this is just kind of going through the motions. Um, what happened to actually representing constituents and saying maybe this isn't a political game? It's actually something that we need to stand firm on truth. Well, it's it's difficult. It really is for career politicians to stand for truth. Because it might, they consider it risky. They consider it uh, that it, it might jeopardize, let's just say, it might jeopardize their political career. They work very hard not to be accountable, to take the hard vote. Look, I get it if a legislator doesn't want to, to vote the same way I would vote. They might not want to vote for, to, for liberty or freedom or to cut taxes or to deny that uh, a nomination uh, 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 for, for the Supreme Court or whatever they're working on. But the fact that they don't want to be accountable, that they work so hard for that vote not to come up on the floor is what's really in, 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 indefensible. It's duplicitous, it's duplicitous in its core. They are liars in their core. They lie to their voters. They lie to, to their constituents that they really are one way and they're going to make sure they govern a different way. And that's what leadership does. That's what McConnell does. That's what they do in Austin and most states. And the Republican Party has control is they protect. They call it protecting their members. And when they say that, what they're talking about is making sure that no hard vote ever comes to the floor so they don't ever have to be accountable to the voters. So the voters can't uh, can't see how they really are and how they really operate. They're just camouflaged. And uh, that's the same thing that goes on in D.C. all the time. Look, there's really very little difference in and and their Democrats and the Republicans in Washington. Unfortunately, there's some. But look, we had control of Washington when the most courageous president we've ever had, Trump, was president. And we didn't get much done. The border was still wide open. Uh, you know, we got one one tax cut bill done, but it's because of the rhinos. It's because of the bureaucracy in the swamp. 
Mm-hmm. So well said. And that's a really good point as well to say this is all about career politicians protecting themselves and protecting their seat instead of actually doing the job that they uh, were hired to do. And this is why it matters that people who aren't career politicians like you, like Trump, uh, like some of these other America first patriots, why we need to support the people who are not career politicians, because you will not only be willing to help be held accountable, but also actually do and fulfill the promises that you make on the campaign trail because they're genuine. And for people like Trump, it's like, okay, when, you know, he's out of office, he goes right back to his private life and he actually has a pretty good life. You know, and you're, you are a very successful businessman, Don, and you know, you're going right back into the private sector in a way that you don't need politics in the same way that these career politicians do. And I always like to say, you know, the people in Washington who are the political mercenaries, they are the types who don't have a marketable skill set for the real world. So they need politics. You look at the Nancy Pelosi's who, you know, graduated with a degree in political science. This is all she can do. And so they are beholden to the special interest to not being held accountable, to not making those difficult decisions and standing firm on truth and being courageous because that's all they have. And if they're kicked out of Washington, they have nowhere else to go. And so for people who are listening, look at the background of, of these people. And I think that the people like you, Don, the people like Donald Trump, the people who are coming from a very successful private sector career are the ones who will be bold and courageous because you don't need Washington. And that's a huge, huge thing. So as people are looking at the dynamic now for 2022, what are some of the races that you're looking at that you think are really important and um, some of the issues, especially in Texas, but, you know, maybe even more broadly, um, that conservative patriots need to focus on? Well, I think the, the, the secret to restoring liberty and freedom in the United States is, is with the governors. I don't think you're, you're going to make much progress in Washington, unfortunately. Like I already said, we've, we've been down that road uh, multi, you know, a couple of times, at least in the last 15 or 20 years, when Republicans controlled everything. But they're really not all Republicans. They're just rhinos. And it, and it helps a little, but it doesn't shift the foundation. It doesn't get us back. It doesn't restore our liberties. So the states are where we need to focus, and it's with the governors of the states. Uh, Arizona's got an important election coming up, and I know Miss Lake is running, and she's saying the same things that I was saying when I was running, that we're going to use Article 10, for instance, uh, on closing the border. We're going to use Article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution to shut down that border. And we're going to challenge the federal government. It's important that the states re- re- challenge the federal government to 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 re- to restore and to and to claim their sovereignty that the Constitution was written about. And this, the sovereignty lies with the states. Of course, the states created the federal government. The state legislature creates everything inside the states, counties, cities, everything else. So that's where the ultimate power really lies, is with the state legislatures and with the state governors. And the governors, we need courage. More than anything right now for the Republican Party of Texas or just for patriots, we need courage. We need people that are willing to to not worry about the, necessarily the consequences of what they say and do, but just speak the truth. 
just stand up and and speak the truth that that socialism always leads to communism and horrors and tyranny and and that we're going to rest, we're not going to listen to the federal government anymore. We're going to restore our culture. We're going to win the culture war. We have to win the culture war, for instance. And that starts in our education system, our university system. It starts with firing all the leftists out of them and flushing them out of the system. Because we are really out of time on this. It starts with having clear forensic third-party audits of our elections, for instance, so we can get confidence again and we can get, and we can get disenfranchised voters back to the polls. Uh, there's just so many things we can work on, but I do believe it starts with the states and not the federal government. Absolutely. And just standing up and speaking the truth and having courage. I mean, that it's so foundational. It's so simple. But it seems like that is the most difficult thing for even some conservatives, you know, especially with some of the uh, the more contentious issues that are within party um, and trying to draw some of these moral boundaries. Um, I, I, I have called it moral gerrymandering because we're trying to uh, d- to draw the political line so that we can create a bigger tent instead of actually keeping the bright line of moral truth where it is. And we don't have the ability to to move that. And so just speaking truth seems like it should be so simple, but it's so foundational. And um, and I and I appreciate you saying that so much. And um, before I let you go, um, Don, I, I also wanted to ask you one other question. When I was out in Texas and campaigning with you, um, you and I had a great discussion um, because you know, you've been a successful businessman, know a lot about um, you know economics, entrepreneurship, and said something to me about um, capitalism versus socialism, about wealth being. Um, created and the more wealth that people have, um, that's actually a good thing in capitalism. It's not limited uh, compared to socialism. And I wanted you to kind of to if you remember that conversation, um, that explanation, I think, in the difference between how socialists look at wealth versus capitalists was really spot on. And I think um, was just just such a wonderful way to articulate it. Okay, well, it's Socialism always looks at a a real limitation type of wealth. They think that all the wealth's already been created and we're all fighting over the pieces of it. And that's just absolutely not the case. It's uh, prosperity is always unlimited. Capitalism, it it creates more wealth. The pool of wealth just grows and grows and grows with capitalism in a true free market. And you've got to have a true free market and not a government interfering with the market, which suppresses wealth growth. But wealth is unlimited in a free market. There's no end to it. It's, so it, I'm never competing to take someone else's wealth. I'm here to create more wealth for everyone. And socialism doesn't get that. And, and they don't because they've been so brainwashed into thinking it's, it's, it's very limited and that whatever one person gets, it's taken away from someone else. And that's absolutely not true. It's true in a socialistic, communistic world because they're not in a free market. A free market brings in new ideas, creativity. I mean, an entrepreneur really is the goal is to just solve problems that affect society. And then you get rewarded for solving the problems. People buy your goods or, or do trade with you. And it's a voluntary situation. 
we all know the fundamentals of, of the free market and capitalism. It's you're always doing something to benefit yourself. And then the individuals, the power of the individual, then you, then you take care of your family and then you take care of your society or your neighbors, etc. But it's always about the power of the individual and what one man can create or one person can create. And we've gotten so far away from that. It, it, it's very disturbing. It really is. Uh, and I go around talking about how important it is that we understand the value of an individual and what one individual can accomplish in, in life. And it's, it's endless. It, and now we've got the government, of course, taking really making us all serfs to the government. They, they own our labor. Our most precious thing that we offer to society is our labor. They tell us how much of it we can keep, and of course, and, and whether it's 30%, 70% of it, and they get 30 or whatever the number is, and we thank them for letting us have a, more of our labor. Uh, the fruits of our labor are mind and our hands. Uh, they, you know, it, it's just a sad state we're in. They own all of our property. We just rent it from them. They tell us we have to go to school and what schools to go to in our public schools, our government school system. They pick the curriculum. So they're and they control the media now. I mean, it, the whole thing is is unfortunately not being uh, run as well as it can and, and into a free society where we in a real free market. We would be so much more prosperous than we can possibly imagine. And that's our future when we get the right people into play. And I hope we do. Uh, I really hope we do, because even in the limited freedom that we have now, because, you know, as you're talking about that, I mean, people don't think about that, that we don't own our own land anymore. There's so many things that are compelled and dictated by the government with some of these compulsory laws. I mean, even just looking at the ridiculous vaccine mandates that they wanted to compel, that's not going to be the end of it uh, whatsoever. You know, and as you were talking um, as well, Donna, it, it reminded me of that cartoon of, you know, the three different height people who are standing in a fence looking over a uh, a baseball game and you know they're each on a box and it says okay that's a quality and of course the tall person can see over but the shortest person can't and so then when they redistribute the wealth of the boxes then they say oh equity is better because now everybody can see over the fence but and it never occurred to me until you were just describing this that actually in a so so obviously you know equity isn't a good thing and a redistribution of wealth um, because we would assume that people own their boxes but in a capitalist society we wouldn't have to redistribute wealth. A company would come in and, you know, be prod productive and people could afford to buy all the boxes they want. And guess what? Instead of standing outside of the, the baseball stadium, maybe those three people could actually afford to buy a ticket and actually go into the game. You know, so these kinds of things that are just memed that may look good on face, we need to be looking at the philosophy behind that and what capitalism is rather than this false notion of equity that really goes back to socialist underpinnings. Um, and, you know, I, I could talk to you for so long about uh, economics, but yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, it, it's the opposite of what, of what our common thoughts are in modernity is that, well, you, the more you make, the more you should pay in taxes, for instance, in, a, in an income tax brackets. But uh, it's it's really opposite of what it should be. It's like saying, okay, the best team, the best player on my basketball team uh, has to sit on the bench so the other players can play. Well, you're going to lose every game. 
Of course. I mean, if Michael Jordan had to sit on the bench because he'd already scored his 10 points and let everybody else score 10 points, you're going to lose every game. And, and that's not how society works. People are, are successful in all kinds of ways of, uh, of their lives. And as long as the government doesn't step in and, and distort the market with, and tip their scales, where they put their finger on the scale and say, this company can never fail. You want companies to go broke, and you want them to go broke readily and, and quickly. The worst thing that can happen in a free market is for the government to come in and bail out the big banks, or their banks are too big to fail, or, or this company's too big to fail. Everybody needs to fail. They need to fl- That's what the it, capitalism is, is about being disruptive. Capitalism is about flushing malfeasant investments down the drain. And so people, other people can pick up the pieces and, 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 not, and not subsidizing any type of business or industry and just letting everybody uh, do what they need to do to, be, to, to provide a good or service, a good or service to, to, an, to another business or another individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really hope that we get people in office and running our government who understand these principles and who have the education and background and practice and experience with failure and all of these things so that they really understand what a free market is. They understand why rights are so sacred to protect because they've lived it. They've experienced it. They're not just making these determinations and spending other people's money. I mean, the government is not a revenue generating institution. And so we all, uh, or they all in Washington tend to forget that. Um, but, but Don, I so appreciate everything that you've done for the state of Texas. Thank you for standing strong. And um, everyone should still follow you on Twitter um, at Don Huffines. And uh, how can people continue to uh, to support you and to hear from you and uh, and follow you? Well, I appreciate that. And just uh, I'm still going to be active on social media. I've been I've been down a little bit, but took uh, took some time off after that grueling campaign. And we ran a great campaign, as you know, and I, I really thank you. Uh, publicly for your support, Jenna. It was tremendous, and it made a big difference. And we got our message out, and it did resonate for those that could hear it. And uh, so I'll still be active on social media, and we'll be picking that back up. And we're looking at creating a, a new organization, a, an organization that's focused on liberty, and, uh, and that'll be coming out soon. Great. Well, I look forward to having you on again to talk about that when that gets uh, put together and supporting that. And um, I know that that will be very successful. And thank you for continuing to stand firm for truth and staying in the fight. So I, I just I love and respect you and your wife so much. And it was an honor to be part of your campaign and uh, help support you. And of course, our good friend Katrina Pearson. Um, she's just amazing. And uh, she did such a great job for your campaign as well. So thanks so much for coming on and looking forward to talking to you soon. Before I go, I also want to talk about my good friend, Mike Lindell. He has been canceled out of so many box stores for simply standing up for his own political opinion and disagree or not, uh, or support him or not. It is a fundamental right of every American to be able to voice their opinion, and that absolutely includes politics. That absolutely includes uh, issues that are central to our culture. That includes faith. Uh, Mike is such a very sincere Christian, and I am proud to consider him a friend, and he is, of course, a friend of this show. So right now, there is a special on MyPillow.com. Click on the new radio listener specials. Get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including a great towel set, which is a six-piece set. It includes two bath, two hand towels, two washcloths, made in the USA, regularly $109.99, now just $39. 
$39.99, but you have to use the promo code Jenna. That's J-E-N-N-A. That tells Mike that you listen to this show. You're happy that he is uh, a sponsor of this show and you will get great, great discounts, but use the promo code Jenna. That's J-E-N-N-A either at MyPillow.com or call 1-800-564-8475 and use the promo code Jenna. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 